welcome back to the Baropolis podcast YouTube channel. It has been a while. We didn't record a podcast last week, but fortunately, Middlesbrough are just really good. And now we have three wins to talk about. As always, I'm joined with Nathan. I mean, it's been a pretty frantic week, Nathan, but actually, it's been a pretty superb week as well. How are you doing, mate? I'm fantastic. Um, yeah, it is fantastic to be a Middlesbrough fan at this moment in time. And yeah, in hindsight, we didn't do a podcast last week. Um, and it's a masterstroke from the pair of us not doing the podcast last week. Because instead of talking about one win away at Cardiff, we get to talk about two other wins in a week where Borough, it was possibly season-defining in a way, if you want to look at the top two. Um, and if that was out of the picture, had had we lost in midweek. Um, but losing at the minute is unthinkable for Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough because they're just really, really good at football. So, yeah, I'm fantastic, Chris. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good, mate. Obviously, as we have sort of touched on, um, it wasn't really sort of any reason in particular, apart from the fact that our schedule just didn't really allow us to... Um, to fit it in last week, obviously the time difference, of course, um, with me being in Bali when had a previous podcast, quite difficult eight hours. Um, it's about you know, especially when Nathan's getting up for uni and I'm going to bed at whatever time. It's just yeah, it got in the way a little bit last week, but obviously, of course, we weren't going to let uh, two weeks go by. And quite frankly, we both just wanted to talk about this week of excellence really um so yeah we're i mean i guess to start off with we've got to go back to what feels like quite a while away now but i mean as you say with my team at the moment we're talking about a win aren't we um and of course i'm talking about cardiff away as i say um given the magnitude of the game uh, midweek and obviously what turned out to be because of other results. Saturday's game was another huge game. Um, but this sort of kick-started a, a very good week for Middlesbrough. And going into the game, an unchanged team, Nathan. But of course, we were travelling to a Cardiff side with Sol Bamba and Sabri Lemucci with their first home game. So actually, on paper, it looked quite a difficult game, I guess. Yeah, it did. Um, although Cardiff had had two games with Sabri Lamucci in charge before this game. Uh, it, it's always a bit different when it's the first uh, the first home game for a manager. And yeah, Borough in this game, I felt started incredibly, incredibly well. Um, went there, dominated the ball, as you would expect from a high-flying, informed side. And it didn't take very long to open the scoring either. Um one nil up quite early on and it's Marcus Force. Uh the Finn scores again. Um a great move as well, a great team move. Um Hayden Hackney picks the ball up in midfield, drives forward, knocks it into McGree, who was off the right in this instance, um, picking up that pocket and yeah, it's just quick, intricate passing from the front the front line. Um, McGree 
picks up the ball into force, back into McGree, crosses it in, Arch tees it up for for force and he buries it in the top corner. And I did think it was going to be a comfortable afternoon for Middlesbrough from then on, but there was a little bit of a spanner in the works, wasn't there, Chris, with um, Borough playing out from the back. Um, yeah, I think it's been coming, uh, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, Middlesbrough have, have, have looked to play this way throughout the season with, with Chris Wilder and with Michael Carrick now as well. And there has been question marks raised over Zach Steffen and his ball playing ability. And I'd like to get your take on this, Chris. Whose fault is it? Is it Stefan's fault for the pass or is it McNair's fault for not being aware of the pass coming? Yeah, this was a little bit of a debate on Twitter, wasn't it, about sort of who should take the full blame. And I actually think it's a little bit of probably both of the faults. But I guess I'd probably percentage-wise go maybe 60-40 in terms of the initial pass from Stefan isn't a great pass at all. Um, I think Paddy McNair probably can be a little bit more aware but yeah, as I say, I think the pass is overhit. And to be honest with you, even if McNair's a little bit more alert, it's not really... I mean, he, he has to cover a little bit of ground to get there once he's actually spotted that the pass isn't great. So yeah, I mean, potentially you look at it, maybe it's even 70-30, um, sort of from Zach Stefan's point of view, actually. And yeah, I mean, Cardiff capitalised, punished us. And as you say... It was incredibly disappointing and, you know, it's been a, a hot topic all season, hasn't it? A lot of people have questioned Zach Steffen repeatedly. And although I think it's fair to say that from, you know, the really, really early question marks about him this season, he's improved um, an untold amount. But there is those sort of moments throughout games still where you think, oh, God, I can't watch when he's either, you know, <laughs> taking a little bit too long to play his pass or he's perhaps a little bit unconvincing from across into the box. But, yeah, as you say, it sort of has felt for a while that we were going to get punished eventually. Um, and we should say that what my character is right, you know, it's sort of almost uh, a set of skills where what can you gain from this as opposed to what you can lose and you know what you can lose is the occasional goal where sometimes it goes wrong and obviously in this case it has done yeah um and i think what Bora needed to do once this goal had gone in and it was a setback was bounce back from that setback and Bora have done that under Michael Carrick quite a lot this season when they do face a setback they bounce back quite quickly and they did just that uh, a loose ball in the middle of the park is picked up by Hayden Hackney he's like a wasp in a jam jar he's just all over the place um, and yeah picks up the ball drives forward and his weight of pass in behind the Cardiff defence is fantastic of course you have Cameron Archer up front, who is like a mini road runner up there by himself, and he gets in behind, rounds Ryan Alsop, and neatly slots home. Borough 2 1 to the good. Archer gets his first Borough goal. And yeah, 
to go two one up, brilliant. Could have been three just before half time as well with some good work down the left hand side. McGree playing a ball around the corner for Ryan Giles. Giles crosses in and Force flicks a header off the far post. But yeah, Borough in at the break, two one up. And going into the second half, I think that I was expecting Borough to be a little bit more dominant of the ball than we were. Um, but it, it once again showed a different attribute of Middlesbrough, which was the ability to stick it out. Uh, I felt that we were under the cosh a little bit in that second half, especially with Cardiff having a few chances, such as Kipra's header uh, from that corner. I think that he has to bury that. And if he does, I think that we may have been in trouble. But Borough do really well. Um, we had a chance in that second half that would have killed the game, which is, of course, down that left-hand side. Archer holds the ball up well, lays Giles in. Giles crosses it in. McGree misses the ball. It goes to Tuba and he hits the post. It would have killed the game there and then. But we had to wait until stoppage time. And it was the Aussie and, yeah, fantastic. Matt Crooks coming off the bench in this one. And it's been a regular theme. Crooks comes off the bench and he provides something. And it's us it usually results in a goal. And Crooks does well, holds the ball up neatly, plays a nice one-two with Johnny Howson, crosses the ball in the box. McGree, I thought he was going to hit it. Uh, on his first touch, which when he did take his touch to set himself, I thought, oh, he, might, he may have fumbled this here because I thought it was a bit sort of inside his inside his feet um, and he may have struggled to get it out of his feet. But he did well, fired it in that far corner and Borough were on the road again with three points. So, yeah, it, it, it set the game up on Wednesday night, very, very nicely, didn't it, Chris? Yeah, it certainly did. And I guess, obviously, you know, you, you look back with context of what we have now, obviously the fact that we went and did what we did for the remainder of the week. But as I said at the, the top end of the podcast, it was almost a, a kickstart where I, I, I really don't think actually... Cardiff were going to sort of be this easy test as perhaps what their league position sort of represents or perhaps shows. And they've got the physical threat of, you say, of um, getting balls into the box, especially from set pieces and hitting the likes of Kip Ray. And even Cabba, who obviously gets the equaliser. I mean... I'm not going to lie, he didn't look like the most mobile of centre-forwards, but he did look like someone where if the ball kept on being delivered into the box, that he would cause problems just purely out of his size more than anything. Um, and I thought we dealt with that pretty well all game, to be honest. Um, obviously, as you say, Paddy McNair, um, who, who I guess really... Um, I was a little bit surprised going into the game that he kept his place. Um, not that he performed badly in, in the Blackpool game, but perhaps, I guess, with more of a physical threat, you, you may have thought that you know Dale Fry could have um, 
done a job there, but him and Lenahan I thought were terrific and, and, and did very well when we were under that spell of pressure just after half time, like you mentioned, this didn't really just head and kick everything. Both fullbacks again, piece of credit just for not really allowing Cardiff to continuously get the ball into the box because they were starting to, you know, put us under pressure, like you say. But again, I mean, major credit to the big tree. Obviously, it's, it's not going the way that he'd probably hope at the moment in terms of personally, you know, he's, he's getting cameos. But what he is doing is making sure in those cameos that he's affecting the games. And I mean, twice now in the last week, he's come on and played a vital part in the victory. And yeah, it's a terrific ball. And as you say, McGree does very well to just control it. It didn't look too convincing, but he rolls it into the far corner and then unleashes perhaps my favourite celebration of the full season, actually, shirt over his head and then somewhat of a sort of, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. It's not really a jig. It's sort of just flat, uh, flinging his sort of limbs around in a way where <laughs> he looks like some sort of strange animal, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't really know what he's gone for <laughs> there, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. Yeah, it was a good celebration, wasn't it? And I think it was just a celebration of relief a little bit as well that Borough did manage to hold on in a game that was it, it was going to be a difficult one, as we said at the start. Although Cardiff had come into this off the back of two, defeat, uh, two defeats in their previous two games under Lamucci, it was going to be a difficult one because it was the first home game for them. And to get three points in this one is, well, was massive. And it set us up perfectly to go into, well, I suppose the clash of the Titans in the championship in the in the race for the automatic promotion, as it was dubbed on Sky Sports. Um, I think it was spoken about that had Sheffield United won this game, they were pretty much home and dry. And had Middlesbrough won this game, and it's very much on. And yeah, I'm I'm very much glad that it, it is the latter. Um, but going into this game, one change, and I think it was one that everyone was expecting really. Paddy McNair dropped out of the starting eleven, and Dale Fry replaced him. I think that that was just going to be the obvious change. Uh, Dale Fry is quite clearly the more comfortable central defender. Um, that is his natural position. And he's probably more capable with being able to deal with tussling, whoever that may be. On this on this night, it was Ollie McBurney and, and Daniel Jebison. So I thought that that was, that was a fair, fair change. Um, and going into this game, it was going to be difficult, wasn't it? Um, a packed out... Bramall Lane, a packed out away end as well. And we've been there before in, in games like this where there's, there's things riding on the game like last season and, and there was the race for the playoffs with us and them. And we got, well, served an absolute battering last year under Chris Wilder. And every time I've been to Bramall Lane, they always start very, very quickly come out the traps at you 100 mile an hour. And I expected nothing less going into this game. 
and within five minutes we were one nil down. Um, Chris, run us through the goal. Yeah, it's um, it's almost uh, when you think of the phrase typical Borough, it almost is that in a goal, really. It's early on in the game and such a huge game as well. Live on Sky Sports, um, you know, you've got on the same night Manchester City versus Arsenal and arguably we were the bigger game that night. Um, so, of course, I'm sure all of the neutrals in the UK would have been tuning in for our game as opposed to the Premier League title, as that was dubbed. Um, and, yeah, it's it, it sort of just comes out of really quite bad defensive structure and almost like a little bit of sort of rapid headlights almost where the ball comes in from the long throw and you're expecting one of the fry, as you say, sort of accustomed more so to aerial threats um, than Paddy McNair, as you've, as you've mentioned, or Daryl Lenahan in this case, to just come and head the ball away and, you know, really stay tight, nice and early. And instead, everyone's sort of caught on the feet almost. Uh, it falls to the head of Ollie McBurney. And, yeah, it just trickles all the way through. I think their centre-half actually gets a, a slight touch on it in the end. I'm not sure who they give the goal to, uh, but the main contact is from the long throw, and it just trickles past Zach Stefan. You hear the roar of the home side, and you think immediately, I mean, we're in for a long night here. This is typical Borough the big stage and we've sort of just gone and forgotten everything that we've seemingly learned over the past, however many games under Michael Carrick and crumbled. But uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> I think you'd be lying. I'll be interested to hear your take. Obviously you were in the ground. If at the point where McBurney wheels away, you didn't think, yeah, this could be a, a long, long evening for Michael Carrick's side. Yeah, I did. I, I completely did. Um, my third time at Bramall Lane, as I said. And yeah, we, we always concede early there. And it, in previous seasons, has set the tone for the performance that we that we serve after that. Um, so, go, so conceding after five minutes was the, uh, the less than ideal start uh, to, to such a big game. And by God, Borough were like rabbit rabbits in headlights um, in that in those first ten minutes, going one nil down, and then Sheffield United had had chances to to double and even triple their lead after that with with McAtee. Um Smith smashes the ball. I think it was off Johnny Housen and McAtee's in behind. Stefan makes a good save, uh, and then again down that down that left-hand side for Sheffield United uh, and down, down Borough's right. Um, a ball slipped down the side for Ndai and he should take his shot earlier. That I think that's the the, the, the issue with that chance for them. Um, he doesn't take his shot early enough and, and Stefan closes down that angle. But, yeah, I did think that Borough were really going to be in for a long night. Um, but after that, Enjoy chance. 
Borough just sort of slowed the game a little bit and grew into things, had some some good spells of possession, kept the ball quite comfortably, looked to work it forward. If you couldn't work it forward, they brought it back, kept the ball quite well, spread it from left to right and grew into the game. Um, and they got what they deserved as well on, on about 25 minutes with the man himself, um, a quiet afternoon for him in Cardiff and going into this game at Bramall Lane. It was the battle of the 29s, Njai versus Tuba. And after some good work down the right-hand side from Marcus Force, a shift with his right foot and an absolute hell of a strike into that far corner where on the sky coverage you can hear the net crack as the ball just cannons inside that netting. Um, and Tuba wheels away, beautiful knee slides, pointing at himself, saying, I'm here. And yeah, yeah it was it was fantastic to be in that away and for that goal. And it did give me a little bit of hope that Borough would get something out of the game as well, which was quite a nice feeling because being at Bramall Lane in previous years, even when we have got goals back, I've never really thought that we'd we'd get anything from the game, but going in at one-one, I thought that that Borough were uh, were definitely in the game. Yeah, yeah, it had a it had a different feeling about it, didn't it? And as you say, I thought prior to the goal, we did incredibly well to just sort of regroup almost, and you know, it was. Not so much. Sometimes, you know, if if things aren't going your way, and there's a there's a moment in the game where it's an injury or it's an tackle, and then it just suddenly sparks into life. But actually, it wasn't so much us sparking into life where this goal comes from. I, I think it actually is just us more relaxing and, and playing our normal game. To be honest with you, um, as you say, it's great work from Marcus Force. And I mean, it's arguably one of the most satisfying goals I've seen all season. The shift and then strike from Akpom is just everything that he's about this season. Full of confidence, full of conviction. As soon as he gets the ball, he knows exactly what he's going to do with it and he gets his reward. And, you know, we didn't quite... We touched on the chance, but we didn't touch on the, I mean perhaps how easy it actually was, his chance away at Cardiff. I was still in shock, really, by the time we got to the Sheffield United game that he hadn't stuck away that chance where it's rolled across the box and he hits the post against Cardiff, um, especially in the form that he was in and, and still is in. Um, but, yeah, it was good to see him make his mark, as you say, obviously didn't score against Cardiff. And it's a huge goal, isn't it? Going into the break at 1-1. And actually, you know, sometimes when in games where you score just before half-time, you almost don't want the half to end because at this stage, we're starting to get on top. Um, I seem to remember McGree had a really great chance just before the break where I think it's Archer actually that slides him in. And he's in a similar position to where he... And tucked away third Cardiff away 
And I think he just tries probably the the wrong execution, I guess. He, he tries to fire it in the near post. But perhaps he, he, he possibly should go far post again. And yeah, I think Sheffield United at this stage were starting to think, actually, right, I can see why these are in third. You know, they play good football. They're relaxed on the ball. Hackney's influence on the game was starting to grow. Um, and I think actually we were starting to win the midfield battle where beforehand Norwood was probably getting a little bit too much time to pick passes and really put the, the likes of Ndai and even McBurney just in those channels and, and really, you know, push us back where once we got that goal, excellent finish from Tuba. And I think we started to put them on the back foot. And thankfully, after half time, we didn't really let off at all. We were straight back on it. And for me, obviously, we'll, we'll get on to the goals and, and what a fantastic performance it was. But actually, once that first sort of 10, 15 minutes was out the way, we dominated the game. We did. You're completely right. Um, I don't know. I... <laughs> It was a strange sort of situation being in the ground and seeing Sheffield United sort of just fall back into their own half a little bit and let Borough grow into the game. Um, I think that in those early stages, if I was a Sheffield United fan and you saw how Borough were reacting in those first 10 minutes, you'd be roaring your team on to get that second goal and just try and kill the game as quickly as possible. But it appeared that after that NGI chance, so they'd had three, one that they'd scored from, one that Stefan saved, and the NGI chance that he didn't really get a shot off. I think that they, they didn't they, they didn't really capitalise on their early pressure, really. Um, yeah. And letting Borough grow into the game was the worst thing that they could possibly do because Borough get back into the game before half-time and come out at the second half and have something to, well, one, hold on to and and, and two, go on and, and try and build upon. And they did just that. Um, Giles, in this instance, I, I haven't seen this really from Ryan Giles at all, but driving inside and through the middle of the park and he somehow finds himself on the edge of the Sheffield United box and he's trying to shift it onto that left foot, as you as you would imagine with, with Giles. Um, there's a few tackles being thrown in. Um, Oliver Norwood is the best player to watch in this passage of play because he looks so far off the pace, it's unbelievable. He's so caught up in the fact that oh, if I throw in a slide tackle here and win the ball, the crowd are going to go, oh, come on, and whatever. Yeah. But instead, his, his slide tackle, um, after Hackney dances the ball around him and avoids his, first, his second slide tackle, uh, he wins the ball and it's a perfect through ball for Cameron Archer to finish on his weaker left foot. And by God, is it a finish, by the way. Um, Left-footed, smashes it in the top corner of the, of the near post of Wes Fodringham's goal. And I, I didn't see the ball hit the net. I saw the ball making its way into the top corner, but 
Yeah, didn't see it hit the net. In fact, I'll let you into a little bit of a secret. I didn't even know who scored the goal because <laughs> because um, I was too busy focusing on the sort of scuffle that was going on in the middle of the pitch trying to win the ball. And it broke so quickly that my eyes just didn't shift quickly enough to where the ball was going. And I just saw the ball in the top corner. And yeah, yeah it was it was unbelievable. I asked the guy who stood next to me, I said, who even scored that? I didn't even know. Um, but yeah, anyway, less, less of me. Cameron Archer, brilliant finish. Um, the trademark Archer... Arrow didn't come out for this one. It was attempted. It was attempted. Yeah. I think the uh, the knee slide skewed him a little bit. Um, but yeah, um, we, we, we'll get on to the arrow a, li a little bit later on because it, it does come out eventually. Um, but yeah, a happy birthday message to his dad as well um, in, in this goal, which, yeah, uh, a, a great moment for Cameron Archer, um, of course. Got got his first Middlesbrough goal at Cardiff, and to to get one in quick succession in the next game was was fantastic as well. And yeah, I think that getting the goal so early on in the second half was 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 massive. Um, I think that at half time, I did think that Sheffield United would be the team that were going to come out the traps again. In that second half, I thought that Heckenbottom would have possibly gave them a little bit of a rocket at half time to to um to come out quicker again and and try and get uh, their second goal. But Borough were were the team to do that, and I can't really remember following this goal. Sheffield United really growing back into the game. It was sort of just Borough trying to regain composure again, following the celebrations to the goal and just keeping possession, playing our own game and limiting Sheffield United to, to not many chances. And I, I feel that we did that perfectly well. What about you, Chris? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I feel like actually the second goal, although it didn't feel like that because, you know, obviously... I, you know, I've said obviously dominated the the game after those first fifteen minutes, but with Middlesbrough, I think we've all learned by now that we are quite capable of dominating a game for eighty minutes and then having one long throw like we did in the first five, and all trickling in, uh, uh, somehow going in. Um, so yeah, there was. I mean, I guess in any football match, there's always that slight concern that it'll be a lapse of concentration and we'll let them back into the game. But actually, I think if you watch the game back, the second goal just knocks the stuffing out of them, because as you say, Norwood is quite frankly chasing Hayden Hackney round like a headless chicken, trying to g up the crowd and make that tackle. As you say, he gets it all wrong. Um, and just on the finish, just quickly, I know your eyes didn't quickly adapt to the movement of the ball, but Cameron Archer certainly did because his footwork to allow the ball to just cross over his body and then fire it with his left. It's honestly a Premier League level striker in the making and perhaps that might even be underselling him a little bit because I think 
there's probably clubs in the Premier League now looking at Cameron Archer and thinking, actually, we could have quite done with him on ourselves in January. Um, and it's a, it's actually quite a topic among Villa fans. Haven't seen obviously their reaction to his two goals during the week. That, to be honest, they probably should have kept him round in January. I know that Stephen Gerrard was really hesitant to give him a proper chance, but I think a lot of Villa, Villa fans are looking at him now and thinking, you should be playing for us, really. Um, and yeah, I think that just goes to show his quality. The the finish was phenomenal. As I say, his eyes adjusted just perfectly, fires that one into the back of the net. And as I say, yeah, in hindsight, I think at that point, Sheffield United thought, oh, oh dear, we're, we're up against a, a proper team here. And I think actually you could even tell in the atmosphere, you could even tell in the you know, Sheffield United's coaching staff, that they were on the ropes. They, It almost, I guess for them, probably felt like a sucker punch. But actually for us, I felt like, especially going into the second half, the way we started, it was a matter of time. Really. We were sort of getting into a lot of situations where we were on the edge of their box or just really just looked threatening. And I think a lot of that is down to Hayden Hackney. Um, of course, the, the full team was was phenomenal. His partner in midfield, Johnny Owson, terrific as always, covering every blade of grass. But that final bit of quality and that ability just to play through the lines, Hayden Hackney just seems to really, really have it going for him at the moment where he finds himself in these positions where he can just slip a pass through somebody's back line. And the pace of Archer is such a useful tool for this team. And um, we even put a, a joke out on Twitter where that meme where it's Michael Carrick adding Cameron Archer at this team. And it's the pasta. Oh, I don't even know what ingredient, but basically it sets everything alight in the kitchen and it does feel almost like a missing piece, doesn't it, Cameron Archer? Um, it's His pacing behind is just such a threat. And, I mean, that's obviously what the third goal comes from as well, that same combination of, of Hackney and Archer. And it wraps the game up and it wraps up what is a phenomenal performance from Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough team. Yeah, it did. And it was very 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 satisfying to be in the away end and witness your if you want to call them your promotion rivals seemingly melt down on their home patch um of course McAtee's picked the ball up inside his own half and he he looks to skip around Hayden Hackney and he, he seemingly does he, he's on his way um Hackney is grabbing hold of, of McAtee and let's go as the referee plays advantage. McAtee then lays the ball into Jebison. Uh, Jebison tries to turn um, and, and play a ball out to the left-hand side. And the cameras do show that should he play this ball out to the left-hand side and it does hit its intended target, then Sheffield United are in down that left-hand side with Max Law. But Marcus Force 
incredible um, in this instance. He tucks in from that right-hand side and he wins the ball from Jefferson. The ball breaks forward and Hackney's onto it. And Borough have got bodies forward. And John Egan, I don't know what he's doing. I think, yes, okay, you have to commit to the ball. But then whoever was left centre-half, I think it's Robinson that plays Archer on. Um, Because Egan's committed, Robinson plays him on. Um, And, yeah, Hayden Hackney, as, as you mentioned there, Chris, his his balls in behind his his through balls, uh, his final ball is just fantastic. We saw it at Cardiff for Archer. His weight of pass was unbelievable in that moment, and in this, John Egan, stay clever, keep them legs together, my son. Uh, Cameron Archer bends it in the far corner. Or a three one to the good. The ball and arrow is out in force. And yeah, yeah Borough win the game. It's pretty much as simple as that, really. 3-1 to the good. Away at Sheffield United. Paul Hecking Bottom's head has completely fallen off that they didn't get a, a foul in the build-up to the goal. And he's kicked the... Uh, substitutions board um he's been sent off and yeah the ground emptied borough were <laughs> all laying passes like I, I i think that that is staggering for yeah a team a team yeah. to be going away to sheffield united and to be all laying passes when it's still 11 v 11 uh, yeah, and they're above you in the table at the start of play by 10 points and you're being all laid by a full away end and your players just look completely just devoid of confidence they look like they've been passed to death which they had and yeah um, it was a real real pleasure to be in that away end Riley McGree substituted um, in front of the Borough fans Borough fans singing Riley what's the score Riley McGree killing himself laughing and pointing at the scoreboard that's above the away end um, and then in the final moments of the game as well uh, the ball goes out for a throw in to Sheffield United Jack Robinson goes over to go and get the ball and a fan gives him some chew Um Robinson's pretty much hanging over the advertising boards, shouting something back at this fan. Um, all the Borough fans giving it big licks in the away end. And Sheffield United fans fighting amongst themselves because they've well and truly been battered by Borough on their home patch. And I think, I think that the win in itself was... Just fantastic. Um, it is only three points at the end of the day, but to do it away at your promotion rivals um, and at a place where Borough have struggled massively in, well, I want to say recent years, 
we've won once there since, well, prior to this, won once there since 1987, which is unbelievable considering the amount of times that Borough have played Sheffield United in that time. But, yeah, 3,000 Borough fans in that away and three points, three goals away from home for the second game in a row, for the third game in succession. And one thing that I do want to touch on before I quickly pass over to you, Chris, for for your views on the game is the unity of those boys that are pulling on that red and white shirt every week for Middlesbrough is something that when I was at Reading and when I was at Millwall at the start of this season, I didn't think that in a matter of months I would be seeing a team that was so together all fighting for the same one goal, which is now going to be bloody promotion, not not going to be uh, fighting relegation like we did think when Michael Carrick first entered the, the doors of Rockcliffe. And just lastly, Michael Carrick is seemingly quite a, a calm, composed man. In the build-up to this game, he just said, yeah, it's an important game because it's the next one. It's the next one in a, a long run of games for us and we the, we just try and win the next game and one game as it comes and then to see him step in front of those players on Wednesday night and give it the fist pumps to the away end because he knew secretly in his own mind that should he win this game it fully puts his middles beside in contention for that top two and to see some proper emotion going into those celebrations was unbelievable and it did catch me by surprise being stood there as well to see him giving the fist bumps but Chris of course you watched the game yourself what was your take did you get to see on Sky because apparently the interviews after the game with well, Michael Carrick, Tubrak, Pom, Cameron Archer. Apparently the coverage was fantastic as well. So you tell me if you saw those, because I don't know myself. I didn't get to see them, unfortunately. But yeah, let me know. Yeah, so obviously to put a bit of context on it, obviously we mentioned it earlier. Um, with the eight-hour time gap and obviously the kickoff time, um, I set my alarm, obviously, for initially the Man City game, obviously with the Middlesbrough game in mind. So 3.15am, my alarm was set. Waking up, I thought, it's a huge night. It's, It's a game where, truthfully, I just felt like it might be one game too far. And... Now, when you look at the results, and that, it probably ties in, I guess, to be honest, with Saturday's result as well. But it's almost made me look at this team in a whole new light. And the best thing I can compare it to is probably Brighton away under Ito Karanka, where we went into the game as... You know, we we were up there in the table, but I think truthfully, 
most people thought that it would be the home side which come away with the three points. And then we turn up in someone's backyard, stick three past them, and really pretty much make everyone in the division sit up and think, hang on a second, these these are a proper team. And yeah, that's what that's what it felt like. Um, it's fair to say that the 3 a.m. alarm was absolutely worth it for that performance and results. And I think, as you say, you know, Michael Carrick, as he always is, the calmest man in the world, um, going into the game and saying, as you say, you know, it's it's just the next game. It's a it's a big game for the fans and people can sort of dream about it. But for us, it's just another game. Those fist bumps almost were an acknowledgement of the fans of this is a really big result for us. And even at the end of the season, it might not mean anything. But for this week alone and for the current way that things are going, it's the first time I've thought, hang on a second, this this team might achieve a little bit more than even getting in the playoffs. And I think it's probably the first time where Sheffield United fans have thought, truthfully, shit. And <laughs> yeah, it's the fist bump show the magnitude of the result. Uh, other points I'd like to make, happy birthday to Richard Archer. Um, we found out his name somehow. I can't remember how. I think it was just in the aftermath on Twitter. Um, onto the Sky Sports coverage. It was hilarious, to be honest with you, because our old mate, Don Goodman, I don't know if you've watched the Sky Sports highlights back, but when McAtee is fouled, but then has about eight minutes to actually decide to play his pass off, but then just doesn't, and Jebison then gets tackled. Don Goodman doesn't actually react to the fact that the third-place team in the championship have just scored the third goal, one of the favourites for promotion. He actually just decides to go, well, Sheffield United have been fouled here. I mean, come on, Don. We know you don't want us to win and for us to leapfrog Sheffield United, but make it a little less obvious, because you sounded like you were about to cry when Archer sticks that away. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite wonderful. The fact that he was quite obviously devastated, the fact that we tucked away our third goal on the night. Um, and as you say, post match interviews wise, I think Stewie was trying to hide a little grin. Um, he was delighted for Tuba, and then I think the phrase um, "we are cooking" was used between Archer. And the, the tuba train in the post-match interview, well, obviously, at that time, we were frantically messaging, um, shout out to Michael Manning, our sort of the person behind all of these wonderful graphics that, that some seemed to land on Twitter almost instantly after our, our results at the moment. All week we'd been saying, get something ready with sort of the tagline of let them cook. And <laughs> almost... As soon as Archer had stuck away the third, I'm seeing Michael Carrick in a chef's hat, and I just felt so right, to be honest. I was tempted to even tweet it before full-time, to be honest, Nathan, but I didn't want to put the kiss of death on us. Um, but, yeah, it was just a, a phenomenal performance, every one of them. And 
yes, it's three points in the grand scheme of things, but it felt that little bit bigger, didn't it? That section at the end where the whole squad is standing in front of the away end. And, yeah, it's just one of them where, regardless of what happens at the end of the season, we'll look back on it with really, really fond memories. Probably, and I don't want to over-exaggerate, obviously, if we go on to achieve the unthinkable and, and go up as part of the top two, then that'll be the night where everyone looks back on, I guess. And there's still probably lots of twists and turns left. But... As I say, I don't know about you, whether you were already starting to believe a little bit and get a little bit giddy, but for me, it was the Sheffield United game where I thought this team, with the addition of Cameron Archer, with Tuba, with Daryl Lenahan, all of those components put together, and Michael Carrick as manager, I started to think, yeah, why not? Why not? I wouldn't put it past them. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly jealous that you were in the away end, to be honest. But it sort of all makes up for it. The fact that last year, around about, I don't even know, the 70-minute mark, Morgan Gibbs-White was gridding on us in the away end. <laughs> and I was just ready to smash a chair and start to cry, to be honest. Whereas this year... I'm sure you were probably ready to gritty on the Sheffield United fans, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a fantastic night. Um yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um my girlfriend's lives she lives in Sheffield. She's at uni there, so um I had to walk through Sheffield City Centre um after the game. And by God, did everyone see my teeth on Wednesday evening? Um, yeah, absolutely outstanding. Um, it was her first away game as well, and she didn't really realise the magnitude of the game until I explained it to her beforehand. And following the game, she put it to me and she said, I thought it'd be a little bit more competitive than that, which I think just goes to show how good that Middlesbrough performance was. Um, but yeah, going into the next game, which of course was 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 yesterday, um, QPR at home, um, it's another difficult test. You see that they're on a horrific run of form, or were prior to the game. Um, I've actually got it noted down. They'd had one win in seventeen games going into this game, but. Just looking at some of the players in their team, I, I always worry. And in the last few years as well, QPR have had a, a fantastic record at the Riverside, which has uh, been quite fr frustrating to go to games against QPR. And when they've they've been aside in the championship in recent years, where they've they usually flirt with the playoffs in the early stages of the season, then fall away and inevitably do nothing. And it always appears that when we're in and around the playoffs, they, they come at the Riverside and they, they beat us anyway. Um, so going into this game, it was massively important to just continue that momentum. I felt that Wednesday night had mean little had we not followed it up with another win. 
Uh, it didn't matter how yeah. we won the game, but we just needed to get three points. And yeah, uh, we did eventually do that. But the starting eleven, wholesale changes. Um, Michael Carrick doesn't usually make changes, so when the uh, eleven was released at two o'clock yesterday, I had you in my uh, messages saying, "Oh my god, no! Oh my god, panicking!" Because Dan Barlasso was set to make his Middlesbrough debut, Aaron Ramsey was set to make his Middlesbrough debut, and Paddy McNair was uh, back in the side as well. So Dale Fry, Johnny Housen, and Marcus Force dropping out. McNair, Barlasso, and Ramsey in. And yeah, I understood completely where you were coming from. Um, why change a winning team? But I do sort of feel that the the mental and physical toll may have uh, may have been taken on a few of the players after after Wednesday night to play to play ninety minutes in a game where it was very much heightened emotionally for for some of those players. So. The hope was we'd go into this game and we'd start early, kill the game in the first five minutes and um, just have a routine afternoon. And that wasn't to be the case, was it, Chris? Give me your honest opinion on that first 45. Yeah, I think it's important to add my initial sort of... I mean, I guess just nerves come from the fact that prior to kickoff, Millwall had gone and beat Sheffield United, which I think times the sort of magnitude of the game, which was already a huge game by about 10, because it allowed us to obviously close the gap again. Um, and actually, quite funnily, Dan Paul Ash in his post-match interview said, oh, no, we... Uh, we weren't actually aware that Millwall had scored. Um, I find that hard to believe, to be honest. I mean, Michael Carrick <laughs> may have kept the result from them. But, I mean, I think Tom Shaw made a joke about it, actually. You can hear the roar, uh, or could hear the roar, of the concourse when Millwall had actually scored from inside the press box. Um, and, I mean, there's a whole wall and door and a different section in between that. So there must have been some roar from the concourse, Nathan. I don't know if you were in the ground yet when Millwall got their third and obviously took the lead quite dramatically again. That, I think, explains why I had such heightened nerves for the game. And, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I saw, I saw the team and I was thinking immediately, I, I actually can't believe this. Not that I didn't have any trust in the players that were coming into the team because we... <laughs> what damn ball last I can do Aaron Ramsey we didn't even mention him in the Sheffield United game but he come on and made a cameo and actually thought looked quite impressive kept the ball well showed what he was about and obviously you know Paddy McNair we can I think it's fair to say that we're, we're quite you know if, if Paddy McNair comes into the team it's it's never a oh god he's playing type of feeling it's a yeah he can step in and, and, and fulfil a job um but yes, I was I was concerned more so because it's it was so out of character of Michael Carrick so far. I mean, we've become used to if his team wins, the only change that 
he would make as an enforced change. Otherwise, it's just always going to be the team that wins and the team that wins and the team that wins. But obviously, as you say, with a hectic uh, schedule and obviously the magnitude of the game mentally and physically, it was it was the right thing to do, really, wasn't it? And fortunately, it paid off. But actually, in that first half, it didn't feel like it was going to pay off at all because actually it was it really wasn't a great performance to be honest um qbr for me were the better side quite clearly um we just didn't really start at all did we and i don't know if it was nerves obviously you'll be able to add a bit of um sort of context on this because as we've said previously, it's all well and good watching on the screen, but being in the ground, there's always that feeling that you have. And first half, it, it did feel, I've got to be honest, like the nerves almost crept into the stadium and that then reflected on the players' performances. Uh, we mentioned Dan Barlassa. We know what a good passer he is. We know how neat and tidy he is. He lost the ball a couple of times, just taking an extra touch or just trying something that he didn't really need to try when he could have perhaps kept it simple. Um, the, the midfield, not so much getting overran, but it, it didn't quite have that control like we do when Johnny Housen's usually in there. Um, Aaron Ramsey, again, probably just lacking a little bit of fitness, perhaps a bit of rustiness. Some of his passes were getting cut out. And yeah, I mean, QBR, let's be honest, had quite good chances in that first half to take the lead. Yeah, they did. Um, I think the standout one was a moment just before half time that was Sam Field firing a shot. Um, and it looked like it was heading in uh, only for a, a block by McNair that sent it over the bar. But yeah. I think that it, it was fair to say that Borough just looked a little bit a little bit nervous, uh, especially in midfield as well, whether that is because it was Hackney and Barlassa hadn't played together before or whether that was because it was Dan Barlassa's debut in midfield. So um, he's, he's picking up the ball at moments and, and trying to do a little bit too much in some moments, in other moments where the back two are trying to play the ball into those two, how um, Hackney and Barlassa. Barlassa sometimes wasn't reading where the passes were going. So he was a little bit, it looked like he was a little bit off the pace, um, but that, that'll just come with understanding uh, on where, where the players want him to, to be picking up positions in. Um, but, I felt that we could have we could have um, created a few more chances in that first half. Of course, Tuba scores and he's offside, and he is marginally offside. But it gave that that warning sign that look, when we do create an opening, we are most likely going to finish it. Um, but yeah, QPR play quite well. They are always a danger as well. They do have good players. Um, Jamal Law, good player at this level, a lot quicker than I thought he was as well. Um, and of course, Starman, Ilias Chair, always 
looking to create, always nippy and tricky. So, yeah, a difficult first half for Borough. But as Michael Carrick said in his post-match presser, he didn't go in on the players at half-time. He instead decided to have a little bit of a laugh and joke with the players and um, make it sort of just make them feel a little bit more comfortable and at ease, at ease hopefully. Um, of course, coming off the back of a massive win and a massive game on on Wednesday night, going into this one, you're looking to, well, continue where you left off and click through the gears and just be on top form, but sometimes that just doesn't work. And some passes don't come off, and in the first half that wasn't the case for Middlesbrough. Um, but second half, I think within well two minutes, we we looked back to our ourselves. Um, McGree having a chance, Borough on the break. Um, Barlasa plays a ball down the side for Tuba. Tuba does see McGree on the far side in quite a lot of space, but I think he's ahead of Tuba, so he may have been touching offside, on being offside. Yeah. So instead, Tuba plays a reverse ball into Archer, who then plays it into McGree. McGree sits down two defenders, fires a shot at Seni Dieng's goal, and Dieng makes a, a really, really good save at his near post to tip it onto the post. Um, I think that was a warning shot, and Borough, I think when they did make the breakthrough, you would see a little bit of relief and you did because they did make the breakthrough on 60 minutes. Um, the crosses from corners from Dan Barlasser weren't the greatest all day. This one was cleared out and he tries to touch the ball down and he, he, he loses the ball. It's cleared only as far as McGree. McGree does well to hold it up. Barlasa does well to get back into a position where he can cross the ball from deep. McGree lays it into Barlasa. Barlasa, this time, fantastic cross. It's whipped in beautifully onto the head of Tuba. Bullet header into the ground. Great header. And you could you could see the relief on, on the players a little bit. Tuba wheeling away, whipping his shirt off. Um, it did worry me a little bit because I did have to check how many yellow cards he's had because again someone who may listen to this podcast can inform me if players still get five yellow cards I don't know if they still get a one match ban I don't know if it's past the threshold yet I know if you get ten yellow cards it's definitely two match ban that's still been happening and hence Johnny House and being rested for this game, being on nine yellow cards and with the games to come in the next few weeks. Johnny House and perhaps rested for that reason. But yeah, Tuba is now only on three yellow cards. So we we have got uh, quite, a, quite a long way to go yet. But yeah, Tuba gets that goal and it was a little bit of relief in the stadium, I think, if you listen to the... Uh, the crowd noise once the goal goes in, it is sort of a get in, we've made the breakthrough and QPR probably weren't going to offer too much 
in terms of of attacking intent and and what they would have to do now is commit a few more bodies forward, which would leave spaces open for Borough on the break. And I think any any Borough fan would fancy us on the break to uh to to get goals. So yeah, Tuba gets that goal, puts himself even further out on his own at the top of the championship goal scoring charts. And it just chilled the crowd out a little bit. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. Um, as you've mentioned, you know, in the stadium yourself, it was that sort of, I guess, injection of, of noise, perhaps, where the stadium had been a little bit nervy and then the atmosphere from the goal improved. And, and I mean, rightfully so, really. Um, it, it takes a little bit of pressure off us. And as you say, you know, I, I thought QPR had really been quite resolute in the way they were playing. They were defending OK. Yes, I mean, gaps were starting to appear, but more so from, from our you know, penetrating passes in behind. And first half, as was as was already talked about, I, I thought they were the better side throughout. So yeah, it was it, it did feel like a huge moment when Tuba scored in terms of swinging the game in our direction. Um, and I mean the Tuba train as well, um, given that he'd scored midweek, adding another one to his collection, and it, it's getting closer and closer that. Uh, closer to that magical 20 goals in the league. Um, obviously, later on in the game, he gets his 20th in all competitions for the season. But of course, we've we've been looking for that magical 20 since I think it's Bernie Slave and he's, he's still flogging <laughs> boots with me about that season, I think. Um, so, yeah, Chewback can obviously get his big deal once he achieves that. Uh, but no, in terms of the game, it's a huge, huge, huge goal. But I think we've got to give a little bit of credit, obviously, to Dan Ballasser as well. As you say, his corners, apart from his first Friday afternoon, were below par. Um, but actually, the moment of quality that really mattered, obviously, that cross in the box is phenomenal. And he also pointed out in his post-match interview that that now takes him above Ryan Giles in the assist charts in the championship. So he's delighted with that. Uh, but yeah, Nathan, I think what sums it up perfectly is a stress settler, that goal. Yeah, it was. And from then on, really, I did think that Borough were relatively home and dry. Um, and... You can you can see that we were going to um going to be able to to sort of get at QPR a little bit more because they would need to commit bodies forward, and the penalty does come from that. Um, they've committed a few bodies forward. Um, Archer flicks the ball into Tuba. Tuba flicks it round. I think it was Kakai that dived in. Um, and then. Cuts inside, plays a beautiful through ball for Riley McGree to get onto. McGree cuts back and he's fouled. I think that the contact is minimal, uh, but he's caught McGree's standing leg. It's it's a penalty. Um, and Tuba 
he just loves open play goals. I'm going to put it down to that. Um, yeah. Juba plays a, a lovely one-two with Senny Dieng's gloves and uh, puts it in the in the other corner. Um, as you say, 20, 20 goals in all competitions for the Tuba train. It just stops pretty much everywhere it pulls into at this moment in time. Um, and... Yeah, I'm glad he didn't take his shirt off for this one. Yeah, I mean, that that could have been quite catastrophic, to be honest, couldn't it? Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it perhaps opens up a conversation, Nathan, where perhaps, quite quite strangely enough, that Chubrak Pom is our top goal scorer, is the top goal scorer in the championship but potentially needs to be taken off penalties because he's now missed his last two. And okay, yes, he got his rebound, but it was the exact same penalty that he took at Burnley away and had saved. Again, it's actually a really poor penalty. And to be honest, it's similar to Zach Steffen at Sunderland where you're kind of hoping the keeper pushes it or parries it wide. Um, But I mean, truthfully, I couldn't care as soon as the ball hit the back of the net. But yeah, I mean, Archer had a hold of the ball for long enough where I thought, oh, well, Archer's going to take it, I guess. Um, but I think he was just sort of allowing Tuba to go and get his mind in the right place before taking the penalty. Um, it was interesting that obviously Paddy McNair was on the pitch and didn't take that penalty because, you know, unless Tuba is our designated taker, usually I think in the past we've seen if, if one player misses a penalty, then basically... The next player gets his chance. Um, I can't really think since Grant Ledbetter, truthfully, that we've had a, a consistent penalty taker. Probably, actually, it would be Paddy McNair that's probably taken the most since Ledbetter. Obviously, was taken off penalty duties. Um, but yeah, one thing I'd just like to touch on that beautiful, beautiful Aussie, Riley McGree, not only has the Tash and Mullet look returned following the World Cup. I think we need to trademark what a skill of his. And it's what has won him the penalty in this situation. I think we are coining the phrase the Riley chop because he brings it out so often at the moment. And every time whoever's defenders it is seem to just absolutely fault to it it's becoming that regular of an occurrence that it's given me flashbacks of the George Friend nutmeg that he used to do every single game to chop inside so yeah the right chop is now a coin phrase on this podcast Nathan um he's just wonderful to watch at the moment he sort of just floats about the pitch or glides about it I guess you would probably be better off to say chops about picks off passes, has that little bit of shithousery in him as well, which I really am on board with. And, yeah, he's just phenomenal at the moment. Um, Obviously, before we just go off on a tangent about Riley McGree and his life, really, because we could talk about him all day, um, there was quite the uh, quite the goal from QPR's perspective and a little bit of a, a nail-biter. Well, it didn't turn out to be a nail-biter, but 
for a split second or for a few minutes at least, we yeah. thought the typical Borough could be back. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. Um, as chairs lined this free kick up and I've seen where Zach Steffen stood and I've watched Birmingham against West Brom last week, I've, I've turned to my dad yeah. and I said, he's shooting here, he's he's going to shoot because Hannibal, Hannibal did it last year and Ilias chairs the type of player to do that. Um, a player with a bit of flair in a side that... Uh, not great. Um, he's just the type of player to try it to try and boost that highlight reel. Um, and yeah, he's done it perfectly well. It's it's a it's an unbelievable free kick. He's executed it perfectly. It's literally bounced on the line. Um, and yeah, he's completely caught Zach Steffen out. Um, it did worry me a little bit because. As the ball hits the back of the net, the sign goes up for sorry, the board goes up for for six minutes at a time, and I've got to run for a train. Um, yeah. So I was thinking, oh, I I could not be doing with this right now. Um, anyway, Borough doing quite well. There's a bit of pinball going on following the kickoff. Um, Daryl Enahan, what looks like a clearance turns out to be. A great bottle in behind for, for the big tree. Back off the bench uh, for the last few minutes of the game. The tree saunters into the QPR box, grabs hold of the ball, squares it across the face of goal. Riley McGree takes a touch, bends it in the top corner from what must have been about four yards out. And, uh, yeah, Borough were home and dry. Um a quick wipe of the of the brow, I think, to uh, wipe any any sweat away from from Borough fans for those those two minutes where QPR looked like they may have been back in the game. But yeah, Riley McGree, I think that's the quickest I've ever seen him sprint as well. By the way, for his sprint towards the corner flag, um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite quite the celebration. Um, once again from from the Aussie, um, but yeah, he's he's been remarkable since Michael Carrick's came into the football club. Um, I think that my opinion on Borough players that are left-footed and have played in central midfield um, over the past few years has been um, warranted. And then has made me have a little bit of egg on my face when they do inevitably turn it round and they do eventually turn out to be really good footballers. So previously we had Marcus Tavernier, who for me didn't offer enough. And then last season turned into, I mean, a Duracell battery. It was quite remarkable to watch. And Riley McGree, it made me think that Borough would rather play with 10 men uh, than with Riley McGree on the pitch, especially after his performance at Millwall away that I travelled six hours on a coach for at the start of the season. Um, but now the the boy is just picking up so many plaudits and, and deservedly so. He's a, a key cog 
in this Borough side and a lot of our attacks are, are beginning to go through him. We're now starting to see the creative influence of of Riley McGree that we that we thought we would have been getting when he did join Middlesbrough um, in January 2022. So, yeah, another three points um, to close that gap further. Borough still remaining third. Um, everyone will talk about the gap to Sheffield United's four points and that's that's that. But eight points inside the playoff places as well, Chris. I think that that hasn't been spoken about enough. I think that the aim for, well, going over Christmas time was getting to the playoffs and, and consolidate ourselves in the playoffs. And I believe that we're doing that perfectly well at this moment in time. It helps that the teams in and around the playoff places are very congested and they're playing each other uh, this week, which was quite good. Luton getting beat by Burnley was fantastic. Sunderland conceding in the last minute to Bristol City was ideal. Yeah, Borough, eight points inside the playoff places. Four points behind Sheffield United. Scored three goals in four consecutive games. Like, that is unbelievable. And since that Sunderland defeat, five championship wins on the spin. Since you left the country, five championship wins on the spin. Please do never yeah. come back. Um, but yeah, just just before um, we, we get on to the, the, the record, we, we need to preview a game, which is another big game. It's West Brom. West Brom, away from home. And a lot has been made about the job that Carlos Corberan has, has done at West Brom. And it's been remarkable as well from from the start of the season with with Middlesbrough and West Brom down there in the Championship, bottom three, and now both sides flying high at the top of the division. Um, West Brom have come unstuck a little bit in the last few weeks, um, defeated by Birmingham uh, last week. And then in the midweek fixture, they conceded a, a 90th minute equaliser at home to Blackburn. We're yet to see what their result is this week. They're playing Watford, which will be this evening for for, for viewers and, and listeners. Um, but I think, again, just going into this game, we've got really, really good momentum we we don't of course we don't know injury news as of yet, but it appears that the full squad is fit and, and and firing. And I just can't seem to label any negative point about Middlesbrough at this moment in time, which from October time seems like a dream. It it, it is genuinely a dream. Um, at this moment in time, watching Middlesbrough just go into games and having no expectations because why go into games and have expectations when if you do, you can only be disappointed. So just going into into games with no expectations, Borough win, it makes you happy. And uh, yeah, the, the, the big red machine keeps rolling on and hopefully 
will be rolling on into those championship automatic promotion places. It just feels silly to say, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, it, it really does. It really, really does. Um, I mean, you obviously everyone's got the sort of specific point in the season where it just felt like, is this really happening again? Um, are we really about to lose more games and potentially be sucked into a relegation battle? And there's two that stand out. Obviously, Coventry, which obviously pretty much seen off Chris Wilder. Um, I, mean, I haven't mentioned him this podcast, but I'm sure he was crying into his pie or greasy chip, but he had hell to sing about over in Sheffield. Um, and also, that moment where Preston scored the last game of the game against us at Deepdale in Michael Carrick's first game, at that point, I truly thought, we're going down. We're going down, and that's us. And, I mean, look at us now. It's it, it, it quite literally is that meme where it's, look at us now, who would have thought it? Not me. And that is so true. I really, really wouldn't have foreseen this happening. Even a playoff push would have felt remarkable. But, I mean, we're in this now and... Listen, it might not last. We might drop off again. Who knows? But this week alone has been just a joy to watch throughout, really. Um, and yeah, long may it continue. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, because throughout this episode, there has been a few times in the audio and the Zoom call where it's been basically the connection sort of hanging on by a string. Um, so fortunately I am back next week and we'll have a better connection Nathan because we won't be recording from two different parts of the planet but also (laughs) um, as you've mentioned we haven't lost a game since I've been away so perhaps I need to just stay away Um, (laughs) I'm not really sure what to do I'm not sure what's best of course I want to get back in the Riverside and see this team Playing the way it is at the moment, but uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, <laughs> it's actually genuinely crossed my mind. Should I go back? Should I? Even though my flight's booked, I was always going to be coming back. But then four wins later, I'm thinking, well, is it really the best thing to do? Well, actually, five wins later, because obviously the Watford game was uh, on the day that I originally flew. But yeah, um, let's hope that that doesn't make too much of a difference. Um, Michael Carrick, I'm sure, if asked about the situation, would just be as relaxed as what he usually is. Um, And he'd probably just say, yeah, Chris, get yourself back. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the flight. And I'd hang off every word that that man said. Um, And just before we wrap up, actually, in the last podcast, it seems like a while ago now, I uh, touched on Michael Carrick's attire on the touchline. Uh, you could tell it was a big game against Sheffield United because he even had somewhat of a blazer going on. I did notice uh, <laughs> prior to the game. I don't know if you picked up on that. Obviously, he had his coat on during the game. But yeah, he obviously felt it was the occasion to bring out the blazer. And I mean, it's paid off, to be honest. He's just a really suave guy. He is literally 
a fashion icon. He's <laughs> he's God in my eyes. How he's turned this team around. I yeah love the man, and love the way that he's so calm, so composed. Just just if if Borrego goal behind, who cares? We'll score three anyway. Who it doesn't yeah. doesn't matter. We'll score three. We're um we're on a roll, and me and you as fans, Chris, we're just going to ride this wave, and I think that's the perfect way to end this podcast. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It, it really does feel like that at the moment. It's uh, We don't know how long it's going to go on for. We don't know if it'll go all the way. But at the moment, we're just enjoying the ride. And Michael Carrick is i was about to say driving the train there but actually there's only one man driving the train and he's soon hoping to hit 20 league goals and i mean i don't know what we'll do to celebrate but the train will have to be involved in some manner um so we look forward to that and hopefully look forward to another three points against west brom um but as you say a perfect point to end it on of course in terms of the podcast, obviously last week's schedules, time zones got basically in the way of things. But thankfully, it's almost worked out in our favour, the fact that we've just been able to talk about three middles of our wins in a row for the first time, possibly ever whilst doing the podcast. So it's been really enjoyable. If you've got at this point in the podcast, then fair play, because it's turned out to be quite a long one. Um but yeah, as always, thank you ever so much for watching and listening. If you have been watching on YouTube, please do subscribe, give the video a like, comment, whatever you like, to be honest, because at the moment, anything goes really. Whilst Middlesbrough are on this type of run, do what you like, within reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, on audio platforms, uh, give us a kind review if you do like, if you've enjoyed this podcast. And yeah, all that's left to be said is thank you ever so much from me, Nathan, as always. And that has been a bumper episode of the Baropolis podcast. Bye, bye, bye.